Do you ever wonder about the healthcare-related scientific studies that don't get published? Where does this data go? What happens to it? What's it called? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Larry Kaskill, your host. Joining me today is Thomas Goetz, a journalist who writes about technology, medicine, and public health. He is the deputy editor of Wired Magazine. He has a master's in public health at the University of California, Berkeley, and is also author of the blog Epidemics.org. Today we're going to talk about a recently published article in Wired Magazine called Freeing the Dark Data of Filed Scientific Experiments. Thomas, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? I'm good. So can you define for our listeners what is dark scientific data? So dark data is my coinage for basically all the stuff that could be crunched and turned into information data but isn't. All the stuff that is out there, that whether it's a scientific study that was done and then the results were inconclusive or perhaps negative, or even the stuff that's just kind of floating out there like the ancillary experience of a you know stuff that's in an electronic health record that's not being tapped for broader research. So dark data is kind of like dark matter in space. It's all the stuff that's floating out there, but we don't really know what it is. Well, how does one go about even trying to find that dark data? Were you able to kind of uncover or unearth it by doing your research? Well, so my story was really kind of a, a call to get the issue of dark data on the table and, and to make people, especially scientists, try to change their approach to how they use data and what they do with their own research. A lot of people kind of, you know, there's the stick it in a drawer problem where you start with an hypothesis and you run an experiment and if it doesn't turn out the way you wanted. Either it goes contrary to your hypothesis or it just comes out not really showing anything. It's hard to get things published. It takes a lot of effort. And so sometimes if the results aren't what you were hoping to achieve, it's easier just to stick it in a drawer than to try to kind of go through the travails of academic and scientific publishing to get it out there. Well, do you think that there is academic publishing? Is that an oxymoron these days? A lot of the publishing that's out there, actually, I think there's a great movement in terms of scientific and academic publishing in terms of the open access movement. This is the stuff like the Public Library of Science, Biomed, a few other places where they're actually trying to get more publications out and make access to scientific research more available. You mentioned Biomed. Can you tell the website for that so the doctors listening can check it out? Biomedcentral.com. Okay, and so on that site is actually studies that would have been dark data, but people have actually published it to keep it out of the dark. So Biomed Central and Public Library of Science PLOS are peer-reviewed scientific articles, like in traditional scientific publishing, but they're really available to anybody. They don't have the subscription walls that most scientific journals do. Now, dark data kind of goes a step further beyond open access and actually says, you know, maybe peer review is too rigorous a process for the stuff that in our highly computer-leveraged environment today, could actually be useful on a bioinformatics form, for instance. And, you know, that data, you might not want to subject it to peer review, but there might be somebody out there who could actually make use of it for a broader meta-study or, or a broader analysis of data. And that's the kind of use of dark data that I think is real potential these days. Well, no one has to reinvent the wheel. If the study's been done, it would be nice to know that the study's been done, so you don't have to redo the exact same study. Exactly. That's a huge problem. And, and when I was looking at writing this essay, there was all sorts of anecdotes that people offered of friends who had done a dissertation and, and had spent a couple years researching the topic, and then turns out that there was somebody else who had, had done the exact same research but come up with really unsatisfying result or, or been had it proved wrong and, you know, could have saved this other researcher years of their dissertation. So I really think the potential of it is not just 
to make people informed of stuff that's already happened, but also to help direct research strategically much more powerfully. How big a force does Big Pharma play in terms of suppressing a lot of data from getting out there? Well, so your listeners probably know about that better than I, but I, I think the, certainly it's no secret that pharma is funding an ever greater proportion of scientific research, and that oftentimes that funding comes with restrictions on publishing, that, that the pharmaceutical company gets to review it before it goes into publication. So that's certainly an impediment to openness. And I think there is still a wide volume of federally or government-funded research, but the idea that more and more research is proprietary is certainly counterproductive in terms of freeing up data. If you've just joined us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, and I'm talking today with Thomas Getz. He's author of the article, Freeing the Dark Data of Filed Scientific Experiments, from Wired Magazine. And we're talking about dark data. Thomas, what do you think of the ethics involved in terms of publishing or not publishing a failed experiment? or an experiment that disproves the hypothesis? So I'm not a scientist. I, I want to put that out there right away. But I'm, I'm well aware of the obstacles and the urgency that scientists do face, that researchers face, in terms of the priority on research. You know, the whole publisher-perish mantra, I think, exists more than ever before, especially in, in the sciences. I know the kind of challenges that researchers face and the stress that they have to publish. So the idea, trying to take some of this stuff that didn't go well and spend time with a result that actually is not going to advance their careers, that's certainly asking a lot of people. I think what needs to happen with dark data is that, you know, there needs to be another way of getting the information out there, not through peer-reviewed journals, not through traditional avenues of publication, but really through something like an open forum, a commons of data. And I know that the Public Library of Science, for instance, has looked into creating a forum like this where you know, people can just go and dump their data, and if somebody else wants to search it and, and try to make something of it, they're free to. I think that's really what the new paradigm that would really help advance research. It seems like Google should be involved because they're into making everything open access and putting every book online. So why aren't they getting into dark data and putting every study ever done online? Well, funny you should say that. I mean, they're, they're not going to be able to put every study ever done because people own the copyright to a lot of that stuff. But Google has started something called the Palimpsest Project where they're able to form a repository for huge data sets, stuff that's not in the gigabytes, but in the petabytes. So people who have, for instance, astronomical research and stuff that's, you know, like quasars and huge stuff that takes huge amounts of data, Google is offering to kind of take that data and make it available to other people. So they're tiptoeing. It isn't the huge kind of reach that, you know, the public library science has been talking about. But it's certainly a helpful example. Do you think it'll ever become in vogue to actually publish dark scientific data? Well, I hope so. I mean, I think the idea that something like the Public Library of Science, I think they, they only started in 2003, and already they've had a fair number of very prominent papers published. Craig Venter revealed his genome in a Public Library of Science paper, and that was free and open and not through the traditional avenues of science or nature, you know, those august journals. So the fact that that openness has started to kind of be recognized and, and is actually kind of cool, if Craig Venter is an arbiter of cool, I think that's very promising. I think science definitely would benefit from a more open system of sharing results. I mean, that's kind of what science is all about. 
learning things and sharing what you've learned and sometimes it doesn't work out the way you think it would. Yeah, and it's not just, I should be very clear, it's not just scientific research that's powerful here. I think of dark data as stuff like in electronic health records and just the anecdotal experience that patients have. There's a great company called PatientsLikeMe.com that has formed patient communities around various diseases, ALS, MS, HIV, and the patients are able to join these communities and put in their treatment history, their symptomology, and kind of codify their experience in a way that is very granular and turns it into data, turns it into data that can be used for other people to learn about how their treatment might be managed. And that's a great example of kind of taking dark data, data that's just kind of sitting out there and harnessing it and turning it to the greater good. Share that website again. It's called patientslikeme.com. And who's behind that? It's a startup out of uh, it's a couple engineers from MIT. Right now, they're not owned by anybody. It's kind of like Thermos, which I think mm-hmm. uh, your doctors are sure. probably, again, it's taking the kind of information and data that's out there, the kind of latent power of communities to put their heads together and collectively come up with something that's a lot more powerful than anybody could do on their own. Thomas, what do you think is the most important factor that drives dark data? Do you think it's embarrassment? Do you think it's solely about money? Is it time? What do you think it is? I think it's a combination of all those, certainly. I think time is a big thing. Again, it's just not easy to ask people to to put attention towards work that didn't pan out, especially given the context of pressures of of research and publication. But I think really it's just an, an institutional thing where people aren't used to, you know, putting out failed experiments. I think really what it's going to take is a new mindset, one where people aren't thinking that if an experiment doesn't work, it's a failure. It's not a failure. It's data. And somebody could learn from it, even if it didn't show you what you were hoping you'd show you. Thomas, last question. Any clue or idea of how much dark data we're talking about there that's out there from real studies that we just have no awareness of? That's a, that's a great question. Well, I have no idea. But, <laughs> but I think if I stretch the analogy of, of dark matter in the universe, I think it's supposed to be something like the, everything we know in the universe is 20%, and then everything we don't know is 80%. If the 80-20 rule exists in, in scientific publishing as, as well as it does in space, I think you're looking at a huge amount of information that could be turned to some powerful attributes. Thomas Getz of Wired Magazine, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments at ReachMD. If you visit our website, you can download a podcast of any of our previously aired shows. And thank you for listening.